What became of your lamb, Clarice? I killed him. You still wake up sometimes, don't you? You wake up in the dark and hear the screaming of the lambs. Yes. And you think if you save poor Catherine, you could make them stop, don't you? You think if Catherine lives, you won't wake up in the dark ever again to that awful screaming of the lambs. I don't know. I don't know. Thank you, Clary. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dark Nutter, the podcast where we devour your favourite works of dark fiction with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Uh, I am John Richter. And I am honoured and delighted to welcome another guest to the show. Uh, so for this episode, we welcome Matthew A. Goodwin, who I will hand over to and allow him to introduce himself and his brilliant books. <laughs> well, thank you so much for that very kind intro. I am Matthew A. Goodwin. Um, I am a best-selling cyberpunk author. I've written four books, well, three in the main series of a cyberpunk saga and one... Um, not entirely standalone novella in that series as well. And I just recently, as you may well know, um, helped with Animosicat to put together Neo Cyberpunk, which is a cyberpunk anthology for anybody out there who wants some cyberpunk. There's some really great authors on there. I don't know anybody here, but um, uh, so that's who I am. Although for the purposes of this podcast, I am just a horror movie fan. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. It's an interesting one where this might be the first time we've had a, a guest on whose pitch for, as we'll come on to, for the Hall of Pain is in a kind of different genre to the one you write in, which is very interesting. Um, but- I have noticed, interestingly, I have noticed there is a lot of crossover between horror writing and cyberpunk authors in Definitely. the cyberpunk author group that we're both in. I think I am the only one who has not also written horror or cyberpunk horror it oh, does interesting. literally everybody else in the group um is, is, has done that although recently i wrote a short story that was just for fun that i realized in the end was a bit of a horror story more of a um uh sort of uh what's what's the name of that show the tower of terror was for Oh, uh, see, well, whatever. see, I only yeah. know the uh, the Tower of Terror, just uh, not that this is particularly relevant, was a ride at Camelot Theme Park, which used to be the, the closest theme park to where I lived in the northwest of England. So the Tower of Terror was what you would like. So if I went with all my mates, all the cool kids, they would all go on the Tower of Terror about 10 times. And I was a wuss. So I just used to sit watching them eating a hot dog. <laughs> I'm not going on. Right. And now, and now it's a ride at Disneyland. And Twilight Zone was, of course, the name of the show that I was trying to. The story that I wrote had a sort of Twilight Zone ending. Yeah, the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror that has become the Guardians of the Galaxy ride, but I, I sort of see. preferred the original version. Oh, good. That's a good bit of ride trivia. Interesting, it's a complete diversion, this, but if it is worth Googling Camelot because obviously, as you can tell from the name, it was like a night, medieval knights, dragons kind of fairy tale themed theme park. And it had, you know, like a monorail where it, but it was a dragon. And so you were sure. kind of like you were flying. And they had like, um, they had like a juggler, they had like live jousting and stuff like that. But obviously, as things happen, life moves on. It's all crumbled into rack and ruin and disrepair. And I don't know who even owns the site. So that now is like a prime site for, you know, urban exploration. Mm -hmm. Like people who sort of make those creepy YouTube videos in all the bands. So you can go and like, not that I'm advocating anyone should break in, but you can go and break in and get into like the ghost train and just sort of pick your way through that. And, you know, and I suspect there are probably security guards to prevent people from doing this but there's a couple of decent videos out there if you have a look oh man i will definitely have to check that out i'm sure your listeners will too but i know what you mean exactly what you mean about that kind of genre crossover between kind of cyberpunk and horror it's it's i suppose some of the components of a typical cyberpunk story you're veering into it almost body horror territory anyway aren't you with you know with the cybernetic limbs and i think there's i mean you know in a lot of ways cyberpunk is a cautionary tale anyway So you're absolutely right. There is a lot of aspects of look at the perils of technology that is perfect to be married with with horror. It's a different sort of, you know, sort of like what we might discuss later, you know, sort of a more psychological aspect of the horror more than the the slasher aspect. But there is something terrifying about, you know, the the man machine crossover and, and the prospects there. 
Yeah, definitely. And maybe, oh, we'll see. We'll see if we can segue back into that later because that's... Uh, well, that's it'll a, be impressive if we can. We've really done something right. <laughs> if you're, it's a rich seam to mine. But you're, you're right, uh, Matthew, that your pick for today is something a little bit different, not cyberpunk at all. Um, and uh, it, before I uh, allow you to explain what it is, I'll briefly explain the concept for any first-time listeners. So I am the uh, nominated custodian for the day. Um, of the Hall of Pain. Actually, um, I need to, I'm contractually obliged to say that in a generic, scary voice. <clears throat> the Hall of Pain. Uh, and this is, of course, a sinister, creepy subterranean realm where we are looking to store and showcase the ultimate in dark fiction. Um, whether it is, it doesn't necessarily have to be horror. We've had a bit of cyberpunk stuff. We've even had a Disneyland ride, I think, in the past. So it's a wide range of, uh, of uh, dark fiction that's on offer. But today you have picked one that is, um, uh, well, it is a, a classic movie of the, of the dark fiction canon. I think that that is definitely true. So for your consideration, um, it's a book series and a film series as well, which we can get into, that is about a several FBI profilers who hunt various serial killers with the aid of another famous serial killer named Hannibal Lecter, Whoa. who was arrested after killing, I want to say, and eating nine people. And then I was going to say spoiler alert, but if you haven't seen Silence of the Lambs, what are you doing with your life? Yeah, um, agrees. It's, it's and then who, who eventually, and since we're going to be talking about the movies and the books anyway, um, who eventually escapes to wreak havoc on the world once again. He does indeed. He does indeed. Uh, well, yeah, what a great pitch. I'll, uh, for, for, the, for the purposes of the, um, for the record, for the Hall of Pain official record, um, we're, we're going to consider Silence of the Lambs specifically, um, mm. but we will just talk about them all and all the characters and all the books because they're all ace. Um, yeah. And yeah, yeah. What, uh, Although like... Silence of the Lambs really is the, the pinnacle of, of, the, of the books and, and obviously of the movies. Um, Having rewatched, I rewatched Red Dragon, Silence of the Lambs, and Hannibal this week. Yes. Those those are three very different movies on three very different levels. Yeah, it's that's really interesting actually. Well, we'll 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 get into it as you say. Spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen or read any of the the Thomas Harris kind of Hannibal Lecter book series. Um, very quickly, I'll skate over what that comprises. So there are four novels. Um, you've got uh, the original was actually Red Dragon, which I think uh, was published first, published in 1981. So it's older, older than me. Blimey, that has been around a long time. You're older um, than me by a hair. Yeah, it's, yeah. Oh god, yeah. We won't start. It's a, it's a, it's a slippery slope that one, isn't it? Comparing, yeah, that's, uh, we can leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, people. The viewers can guess. The viewers can guess. <laughs> um, and then obviously, Silence of the Lambs was the second book. Um, and that came in uh, 1988, so a bit of a gap between the, the first one and the sequel. Uh, then we got Hannibal, which was a third book. That came out in 1999. And finally, Hannibal Rising, which was a prequel novel, in effect. Uh, and that was released in 2006. All got made into films. Um, and we'll, we'll come back to some of the slightly lesser known aspects, maybe, of that. But, um, but yeah, if we start with Silence of the Lambs, which was a, a 1991 movie directed by, I'm going to mispronounce this and embarrass myself, Jonathan, Jonathan Demi. Demi, thank you, because I was not going to say it that way. So I'm glad you bailed me out. Jonathan Demi. Um, and yeah, it's generally regarded as, you know, it often crops up on lists of best movies ever made. And it's, well, and it, rewatching it, it is one of the best movies ever made. Um, uh, so I watched it on Friday night and I haven't, like I've seen it a couple of times, but ages ago. So it's firmly cemented in my head as, oh, that's a great film. But like you say, watching it back, what uh, it's it sort of feels like it just does everything right, just effortlessly brilliant. You know, I, mean, I mean, it is really just a masterpiece and yeah. one of those movies that has inspired me for my whole life. I don't know if I mentioned this to you in, in our previous talks, but when I was in high school, I was so interested in this sort of Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal Lecter stuff that we were allowed to customize our lab coats for, for science class. And, you know, you could customize it within reason. And I had Dr. Lecter stitched on mine. Brilliant. Oh, here's a thing to ask you, actually. In your stitching on your customized lab coat, how did you spell Lecter? You know, I, I, 
<laughs> I'd have to look back, but I have to think that I took it from however it was spelled in the Silence of the Lambs book. I don't have it anymore. It would be very old now. Um, but I, I... The only I, reason I ask L-E-C- is... I, I, I'm going L-E, I'm going L-E-C-T-E-R, exactly. But on the... So I rewatched um, Manhunter last night, which we'll come back to, which was the sort of slightly outside the, the usual series sort of... Or, and before Anthony movie. Hopkins, right? Correct, yeah. So the first time um, Hannibal Lecter appeared on screen, it was a different actor. It wasn't Anthony Hopkins, it was Brian Cox, which who I like, so that's right. Good. But weird to see better it. than Anthony Hopkins, unfortunately. I agreed. It's almost like poor old Brian Cox, just his performance has just been kind of lost to the sands of time because it's just been dwarfed by Hopkins. But on the DVD copy, because I'm still, as you can see from this like nerd stack, nice. here, I'm still rocking a lot of DVDs in my <laughs> old age, in my aforementioned old age. And it's they've got the spelling of Lecter on the back of the DVD is L E C K T O R. And you know when you're like, is that just a typo? Have I been spelling Lecter wrong all my life? Oh no! And, well, I, maybe I that was a rights it. thing. <laughs> maybe that could be true, actually. Maybe that's true. Um, but yeah, back to Silence of the Lambs. Anthony yes. Hopkins' Hannibal Lecter performance is 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 rightly regarded as a as a, an iconic one. Well, yeah, and Jodie Foster too. Jodie Foster was incredible in that movie. And, you know, she was, you know, freshly coming off an Oscar win for Witness. And I guess her agents had pretty much said, you know, don't take this movie. And she said, because another actress was, was being considered for it first. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer was the, was the actress to whom they offered it first. I did not know and that. Jodie right, okay. Foster said, when Michelle Pfeiffer passes, I want this because the material is that good. She really? knew within herself, even if the people around her said, don't do it. She knew how good it was. And so when Michelle Pfeiffer did pass because it was too dark, which for somebody who was in Scarface is a little surprising. Um, But when she passed, Jodie Foster got, was considered and, you know, had just won an Oscar. So she got the role and man, oh man. She's brilliant. She's so good in that. And hearing an interview with her recently, she said that she wanted it because it was a classic damsel in distress story, except that the knight in shining armor was a female which yeah. she loved. That's that's a great way to look at it, actually. And and she does, she manages to pull off that perfect sort of, almost like a exact 50-50 mix of, she's incredibly strong, confident, you know, highly trained, or trainee, actually. She's right, not fully right. trained, but she's highly trained um, FBI agent at the Academy. And she just comes, she has this real kind of on-screen presence and charisma. But she also comes across as, you know, fallible, uh, inexperienced, frightened at points because right. you would be if you're getting you know stalked and in the dark by a... too i mean they intentionally seemed to shoot like in the funeral home when it's all these you know sort of yeah. six foot guys who are towering over her but then you know in the in the back of the room when she demands that they all leave and yeah it's that exact balance between that sort of not weakness but that um you know naivete and sort of being sort of small and new and that inner strength that, that yeah. she possesses that makes her able to go toe-to-toe with Hannibal Lecter. And it's a great scene, that that one that you mentioned, because it maybe that's a, good, a really good example. Uh, she They could have played that almost and had the policeman kind of sneer and dismiss her and ignore right. her, which would have made perhaps just played too much on, you know, this character is weak and a woman, and that wouldn't necessarily have made the point they were trying to make. But equally, they could have played it, they could have hammed it up a bit and had her kind of really dominating the room and, you know get out of here and they right, all sort right. of meekly and that perhaps would have seemed a bit unrealistic you know we are talking like a gang of all male policemen so right. the way they portrayed it in the end to me felt quite believable you know they, right, they where she sort of used, authority. She used the power her own strength but also the power of the the fbi label on her yeah. lapel you know there's a certain if you just represent represent the organization that you are the, the cops have to listen to you. <laughs> yeah, grudgingly, they all kind of shuffle out. And th- there was another scene, I think, where she's she goes to that ancient old, sealed up, rusty old storage locker because I think Lecter has 
you know, given her some cryptic clue that's led her there. Right, right. And the thing's so, the mechanism's so knackered that she can only get it open about, you know, a foot. And so she has to kind of slide in underneath and she cuts her leg on a nail or whatever. And it's like, there's two blokes there with her. You know, there's the guy who owns the, the, the sort of storage facility and his driver. And they're like, we're not going in there. Sob yeah, that. I so, want no part of this. Yeah. So you've got this, again, this young woman having to do all the kind of, dirty work all by herself and right and i love they definitely in, seemed to intentionally make the driver look like a big burly guy yeah but like, he refuses who, who, to do manual he says, labor he doesn't like to do manual labor <laughs> it's, it's quite pretty funny line actually but yeah so you've got so clarice starling is a, is you know a great character and a great foil for lecter um because obviously she you know she meets him very early on in the film when she's sent by her boss in a slightly underhanded way because I think he, he wants, so Lecter is meant to be this sort of, um, uh, you know, legendary sort of criminal profiler slash psychiatrist slash general all-knowing sort of omniscient god of serial killers, basically. <laughs> and it's like, if there's, you know, if, if there's a serial killer on the loose, the only way we're going to catch him is we get Hannibal Lecter's input. But you, you have to sort of coax and trick it out of him because he's obviously... Right, right equally as likely to, I don't know, collude with the killer as help you. So she gets kind of, it's a bit like a lion's den situation, isn't it? She's just kind of shoved in there to try and, and you know, in, intrigue him. And it works as a ploy. But it's funny too, what you even just said, where that is what ends up happening in Red Dragon, where Lecter ends up almost trying to use um, the Red Dragon serial killer as his own weapon against Will Graham. Yeah, that bit is, and I'd sort of forgotten about that aspect. Like there's that really, um, slightly embarrassing, I suppose, but just as I think of the moment, I've just got goosebumps. <laughs> so that's kind of <laughs> nice. But do you remember that bit where um, Will Graham, who is the, as you say, is the um, the FBI agent who, who actually caught an imprisoned lector. So when we, so Red Dragon, which is set before Silence of the Lambs, first first made into a movie directed by Michael Mann, is mm-hmm. the movie Manhunter. And then later they made the movie called Red Dragon with Anthony Hopkins, da, 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 which we'll come back to. And there's a bit where, um, so Graham is sparring with Lecter, played by Brian Cox, um, because they're into, you know, they're trying to track down another serial killer. And I think they established that Lecter is communicating with the killer through the, it's like the Lonely Hearts ads or something right, or right. the paper. And I think they they find what Lecter is going to run, but they can't translate the meaning, so they let it run anyway. And then later they translate it, and he it's basically Lecter giving the killer Will Graham's home address. Right. Save, save yourself, kill them all. You know, yeah. like, oh my god! Like just a horrible twist moment. Yeah, having just yeah, because I like I said, I rewatched Red Dragon. That is a oh. good moment. Brilliant, and then um, and, and it's just the, the, I think that's the thing with these movies it, and the books as well. It feels to me like y- yes, there are lots of kind of highbrow psychological horror elements and and you know all that kind of tension and sparring between the main characters, but also they've just got loads of dead cool scenes, haven't they? You know, there's a bloke yeah. stra- strapped to a wheelchair, set on fire, launched down a you know, I mean, car park. It's so good, or even. Um... You know, rewatching Silence of the Lambs, Lecter's escape. You know, where you as the audience realize that he, that it's him wearing the face, oh, and God. it's just such a good moment. It's just such good writing, and then it's yeah. it's so well done in the movie as well. But Thomas Harris really is quite a genius in terms of just good horror storytelling. Yeah, that bit, a perfect example as well. And it's one of those where as a writer, you watch it or read it and you just sort of, you, yes, you are quite envious, but also oh. you just have to almost like applaud and kind of admiration because it's oh, just like, yeah. this well, guy's I mean, a master. You know, any, any author worth his salt, you got to look to the greats to, to inspire you. You know, yeah. it's one of the things that I love that Francis Ford Coppola said about um, making The Godfather. He said, you know, I think it was something to the effect of, you know, every, every director steals, so you may as well steal from the best. Which is yeah. why when when Sonny is shot in The Godfather, I think it's it's basically he just stole it from the Bonnie and Clyde movie, where mm. he's just you know riddled with bullets because it was a great moment that he loved in Bonnie and Clyde, so he put it in The Godfather. And, and it's and it is true as well. Like I, I used to, I remember sort of I guess early on in my writing career, you you do get a bit hung up on. Oh my God, I've just found out that there's a book that's got a bit in it that's a bit like my idea. Oh, I can't write it. Oh, that's it. Throw that one in the bin. And then you sort of realise after a while that, well, kind of to an extent, everyone's already had every idea. 
And there's always going right. to be stuff out there that's similar. And actually, it doesn't even hurt to be quite heavily inspired by something if you like it, because well, that's, that's what happened thing. to them. Every, you know, it, everything is in its own way derivative. I mean, yes. you know, and Joseph Campbell talking about the hero's journey. I mean, basically every movie that we love follows the same sort of plot points. You got, you know, certain things, the refusal of the quest, the death of the mentor, it's all there in yeah. all of our favorite stories and it doesn't make them any worse. Yes, you're right. And we don't get bored of it because we, as you say, it's one of the archetypal, you know, few handful of story sort of structures. Yeah, I mean, exists. humans like storytelling. We like story structure. The one, the one interesting thing that, you know, as my writing career has developed, is seeing story structure so much that sometimes you can now predict exactly what's going to happen yeah. in That's, a movie. It's kind of sad as well, isn't it, when you realize you're like, oh, I, yeah, he did it. And then you get to right. the end of it, and he did. <laughs> yeah. and oh, like, because oh. of story structure. Although I recently watched Knives Out and I, did, I definitely fell for that one. Yeah, that's good. That's good, actually. I think, I'm trying to remember. Did we? I think I was completely duped, whereas I think me misses guessed the ending if i remember rightly but yeah knives out was great i enjoyed knives out that yeah yeah good... that was a lot of fun and it, that was it's like funny, a... yeah thinking about how stories is going to work my, we recently rewatched the entire mcu and all i could think was i think galactus is going to be the next the next thanos for phases five mm. and six of the marvel movies or four five and six whatever it is and i'll bet you anything that one of the things that they do to introduce how powerful he is is he's going to kick captain marvel's butt since yeah. she was sort of now the pinnacle of power, they'll use that, oh, if he can defeat Captain Marvel, now we're really in trouble. Well, me and Liam spoke about this once and we sort of established that, you know, that logic, exactly what you, I love that, you know, like the hierarchy of characters. So you see it in things like, I don't know, Game of Thrones. It's like, oh, we want to introduce a big bad guy. So he needs to kill off a well-established good guy, but not one of the good guys because we're not ready to sacrifice them yet, but a good solid mid-level. Basically what it turns out is the logic of storytelling all devolves back to um, WWE professional wrestling logic. <laughs> oh, 100%. <laughs> I mean, what I was going to reference, what I was going to reference next is Star Trek. Every time really? they wanted to introduce a big bad, oh, well, he kicked Worf's butt. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, if, but, you know, ultimately now it just looks like you go back and Worf just got his ass kicked all the time. But at the time, um, that, was, know, that was how they sort of put the it, guy That's over how you established that, you know, that this is a tough guy. And sometimes you can sort of see the, the slightly scrape in the barrel of it, or they, they, they mess up the execution. Like I, I recently, one of the things on there, I've got like a full shelf of Batman, because I'm a big Batman fan. I watched all the old 90s cartoons, and there's one where they bring in Bane in the third season. And they're like, right, we need to establish that Bane's really, really tough and hard. But, so we need to beat someone up. But he, he's obviously not going to beat Batman up because it's not right. like the comic. He's not going to break his back like in the, you know, they couldn't get away with that on a cartoon. So they decide, <laughs> okay. We're gonna do, we're gonna bring in a character who's renowned for his strength and power. We're gonna have Bane beat up Killer Croc. Oh. <laughs> You're like, um, um, he's a bit yeah. didn't quite stick yes. this landing, huh? No, but it's still a good show. Um, yeah, whereas Thanos, when Thanos is introduced, you know, dominates the Hulk and then kills Loki, you're like, all right, this guy, this guy's a, this guy is- I'm convinced. This guy means business. That's so good. That's so funny. Um, well, sorry, in a crushing uh, swerve back onto the Silence of the Lambs. Uh, one thing I was going to ask you about, because you feel free to completely disagree with this if you think I'm talking bollocks. Uh, so I, some of the stuff I write is, is kind of, I guess what you might call relatively traditional serial killer thrillers, which mm -hmm. there is a strong market for because people love serial killer thrillers, which is good if you enjoy writing them. And <laughs> so that's really good. Um, but um, is Silence of the Lambs basically responsible for the seemingly endless popularity of the serial killer thriller genre? Was, you know, was there one before that? You know, you know I couldn't think of any I, yeah. I'm sure there was a building to this and I think the real world also helped to build to this you know people mm. following Ted Bundy for example yeah. him being such a news story I don't know if you watched the Netflix documentary last year um I haven't is that the one that's not the one with Zac Efron or is that a, that was a so the, the, the filmmaker kind of who made the Zac Efron movie also made a documentary okay. called the Ted Bundy tapes and so you hear Ted Bundy's story through his own words and it um, I should watch that. That's what I have. You, you to, to my... should. 
it's fascinating. You, you've got like a, you'll be the same as me. You've got like a collection of serial killers that you have read about. And then there's, there's like a few on your to-do list, which sounds really <laughs> boring, but it's true. You know what I mean? And yeah, I it turns out for Bundy me yet. now, it's the, the, whatever's on Netflix, that's the serial killer yeah. that I've most recently learned about. Um, although I haven't done the Night Stalker yet. But so with Ted Bundy, um, you know, the, the, he, because he was a media sensation, yeah. people started to become obsessed with serial killers properly. But one of the things that I, I learned in, in, the, in some, some of the making of the Science of the Lambs that I did a little bit of research in preparation for this was Gene Hackman was attached to make Silence of the Lambs. He was the one who sort of optioned the script, it sounds like. Mm. But then he read the script and was so horrified that he dropped out, just like Michelle Pfeiffer. And um, I, I think that people were interested in serial killers, but this movie definitely seems to be the thing that put yeah. obsession with serial killers on the map. And of course, um, it's in, in many ways, it's a movie about obsession, isn't it? It's about, um, you know, Starling's obsession with catching this killer, Starling's growing obsession with Lecter, Lecter's apparent obsession with her, but you're never quite sure to what extent well, and what's it's so an obsession. Interesting or a... is, I think it's such an interesting reflection of the book and the movie. You know, the one thing we haven't actually talked about is... You know, she's not trying to catch Hannibal Lecter. This whole movie is is actually about another serial killer, Buffalo Bill. But it's so funny that Anthony Hopkins was so good and Hannibal Lecter is so fascinating that we've talked for however long we've been talking for and we actually haven't talked about the, the killer that they're after. And, I'm and a, Buffalo I'm, I'm... Bill was actually, um, it sounds like, based on four sort of other real life serial killers. Uh, Ted Bundy, for example, did wear a cast on his hand and would um, ah, use that to get women to be sympathetic to him. Yeah, what and, a scumbag. That's, uh, and there was some uh, other serial killer who had the, the, the well that he kept girls in and another, oh gosh, Ed Gain, I want to say. So, who, so, the, so Ed Gain was like the skin guy. He had it was the skin, the skin guy, gimmick. right. He's yeah, the one, gosh. although he was more of a, he did end up killing people, but I think he was more of a grave robber yeah, I think he only killed two people, one of whom was trying to save the first person, I think. So it was almost like he, he was he was getting his skin supply by robbing girls. Right, right. Also, you I, can see how skewed we are about serial killers, that we that you just used the term only killed two people. Yeah, so God, that's terrible, isn't it? I'm so sorry. But but it's but it's and, and there, there is a thing as well, there's a in fictional serial killers, there is a bit of a weird arms race where it's like, oh, we've got this serial killer who killed 26 people. Well, we've got to top that for the next series. So this well, guy killed 55 people. Too. I, I think that you know there is the sense, uh, the sort of media sem- uh, sensation of it all does factor in to the serial killers. Celebrity culture now, and all where, this kind of yeah, ongoing where they, fascination. Right, where, you know, I think a lot of these killers probably, well, they would probably kill no matter what, that, and that would get into much deeper psychology than you and I are probably qualified to discuss. But it does seem like the the media aspect of it does add to these people wanting to compete with one another it could i mean you could well be onto something i know can you know there's i guess there's all manner of different motivations on a case-by-case basis we've got the the uk's one of the uk's most infamous serial killers in more recent times was a guy harold shipman who was a, a gp like a doctor mm-hmm. and his i don't think so you know as a counterpoint i suppose he, he wasn't um doing it for anything other than material gain but well, even that can be debated. So sorry, very quickly. He was um, he had lots of elderly patients, as you would if you're a doctor, um, and he was giving them um, sort of lethal injections and drugs that would kill them. And then, uh, you know, like, um, what's the word? Persuading them to sign him as the beneficiary in their will, or even just forging their signatures. So he was just getting a load of money. But the, there are X number of his, uh, allegedly something in the region of 300 victims and there's um, quite a few where there's apparently there was no financial motive. He just did it anyway. So it's whether there was a bit of a kind of God complex going on. And he was just this like mild-mannered looking old bloke with a beard. You know, it was it's just bizarre, That's wild. isn't it? I wonder if that factored into, I haven't seen the movie, but I just know it was nominated for a bunch of awards. Was I really care? And it looks like that sort of, I, I watching the trailer recently, it looks like that's sort of an aspect of it where she's, taking advantage of elderly people to try to get their money. I, having not watched the movie, maybe this isn't the most interesting thing to discuss, but it, it seems like that might be a, a bit of a, 
and, and, and a lot of these ideas, I guess, do the rounds. And as you say, fact and fiction can can often get a bit blurred. And as as we were discussing earlier, these you know story ideas they all amalgamate and they all Correct. come together and everybody's taking different aspects of different things to create their own stories. But I think you, you make a great point about poor old Buffalo Bill. Cause I, and I've even said that same thing in the past, like, oh, you know, people forget that Buffalo Bill is a really good villain. And then I've committed the same sin myself <laughs> and forgotten to mention him for 25 minutes. But yeah, it, it does. It is, it is unfortunate in a way. He, he sort of pales a little bit into, um, into the background compared to Lecter's just completely dominant kind of, or, or Anthony Hopkins's kind of dominant performance. But it does, I mean, it does add such, um, you know, without Buffalo Bill, that movie would be nothing. You know, it, it, even if he is sort of the, the little lost lemon drop of the movie, yeah. um, he really is a great, as you said, a great villain as well. And more than anything, so I've probably watched Silence of the Lambs once every other year since I first watched it. But every single time, and including this last time, when, when the lights turn off at the end of that movie, my heart starts to race. I mean, it does not matter how many times I've seen it. That is filmmaking at its finest. When she is staggering around in the dark and he's hunting her, it is brilliant filmmaking yeah amazing we, we, sh we should give him a shout out the guy who plays buffalo bill the um i guess as you say the, the real villain of silence of the lambs is ted levine or ted levine yeah. um I'm, I'm not sure he's I, I can, off the top of my head i can think of one other film i've ever seen him in which is weird because he must have been in lots because he as you say it's a great performance he's got a really distinctive look his voice is is great yeah yeah the, you know apparently he was, i looked him up when we were watching i think he's in big sky right now which is a, okay, a, okay. New, a new show um that premiered this last year uh, my wife really? and i watched okay. one episode and it it didn't do it for us but oh, apparently okay. he's in that no, it looks enough. like he's been getting work the whole time which you can see a, a role like that also killing a career yeah because it's so iconic and it's um and he does have such an unusual voice and and sort of presence um that i could see it ruining a career but it looks like he's he's done well for himself yeah he's, and like you said you almost can't think of a better example from the movie of his, his complete sort of nefarious uh, sort of villain villainy is he uses as you say night vision goggles is one of his sort of it's back to wrestling again serial killers always have to have a gimmick at least one gimmick he's got right. a few he's got the skin suit that he's trying to put together he's got the moths that he's implanted in the victim's right. throat and he's got the night vision so yeah we get that incredible scene where Jodie Foster's character he turns the light she's caught him she's found him quite by accident stumbled into his lair she's got him at gunpoint he manages to escape and then he turns the lights off and you're treated to, a, I guess, a, a Bill's eye view of right. Starling blundering around terrified in the dark. And he's just got all the time in the world to do whatever he wants. Um, but he manages to make a complete mess of it, doesn't he? <laughs> right. Yeah, well, and there's one moment when he's reaching and he almost gets her and then he pulls away because she oh. moves a certain way. And it, yeah, it is, it is good. It's funny though, when you were talking about the sort of gimmickiness of the serial killers, watching this this back of these three movies, I did realize that what, one thing that I think would be more interesting, and maybe there have been movies that, that do it, I'm more interested now in a movie that would be more akin to what real life serial killers are like, these people who yeah. are mild mannered and live normal lives and somehow go home to their wife and kid, but have, you know, murdered 23 prostitutes that that yeah. seems almost now that we've done these really big you know skin yeah. suit serial John, killers John Doe in seven. yeah to, to examine the psychology of a person who you know is taking their kid to school in the morning and then kissing yeah. them good night and then you know on their long haul trucking route doing some horrifying thing uh, I think because that, you, that, you, you're absolutely right that there's there's plenty of examples of people who did exactly that there's another you've probably seen it actually i think another netflix recent documentary was about peter sutcliffe the yorkshire ripper who oh, was yep. knocking about in the uk in the 70s i think into the 80s right the lorry driver yeah and he was just he was he had a wife i think he had kids as well and he was you know they had absolutely no idea there was this infamous killer all over the news massive media sensation as you say again perhaps adding to the mystique and the aura around these 
these people who are, you know, completely horrible, depraved scumbags, but everyone's fascinated with them. And he was, yeah, he was completely getting away with it. She had absolutely no idea. It's it's crazy, really. Yeah, to see, to me, it. I think that's a really interesting, that's yeah. really right territory. I mean, maybe the book or movie exists. I'm sure somebody will end up writing it and, and let you know. But I'm I'm I think that's an interesting sort of way to do a serial killer story. Yeah, I, I, I think I definitely agree. And uh, I, I, it's like you say, it's a great idea. I bet someone has done it somewhere out there. I, I mean, I'm they have to have. We can't have just come up with this idea right now. <laughs> if not, but if, if we are, quick, it's a race. Who's going to write? Yeah, right. Maybe we should do it collaboratively. Um, okay, done. And then, and then you could do a book about two people who then, you know, start writing a collaborative book and then they fall out halfway through and then it all splinters off. And anyway, You're right, <laughs> right. And one has to kill the other. Yeah, there you go. That's, right. Let's pause this recording. We'll take some notes. And then, done. Uh, and then we'll be rich. <laughs> That's, yeah, step, step step one was that idea. Not sure what step two is, but step three, right. profit. Rich. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. And now we just need to figure out what step two is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But what, leave, leave, leave that with us. We'll ponder it. Um, one thing I was going to mention, actually, just well, um, before we perhaps move off Science of the Lamb specifically is, so my favourite band in the world is a, a relatively obscure British band called The Fall. I don't know if you've ever encountered The Fall, um, fronted yeah, by Mark E. Smith. So he was a kind of like infamous sort of unpredictable front man who was always you know snappy and vicious on stage constantly hiring and firing different band members I think he had three different wives all in the band at various times something like 50 odd different people in the band over the decades passed away a couple of years ago and in um the scene we were talking about where Starling has kind of found him and she's you know kind of chasing him through the um through his through his lair, I guess his underground bit of his hook. It's you know, there's like, he's got like music on, hasn't he? And he's like playing playing some records. Right, and it's right. a song by the fall called Hit Priest that's played <laughs> in the background. So I just wanted to give that like a show. Yeah, see, I couldn't it. listen to that song now without thinking of that scene. Yeah, but you can't. I agree, you can't. So whatever, if you if I put that one on, it's just immediately like, oh, I want to watch the film now. Yeah, well, that was that uh, the other day. I was driving my son somewhere and the the Rembrandts you know the I'll be there for you came on yeah. and it's just like I can't listen to this it's just the friends theme you know like yeah you can't listen can't to even it listen as a song it's impossible to appreciate it as like right a piece of it music. goes for four minutes I'm like well now I just want to go watch friends <laughs> like a Pavlovian um, kind of I, I mean honestly that's a, there must be loads of pieces and that's another career that was probably like I don't know maybe well who knows maybe they're I'm sure the Rembrandts are happy they must have made loads of money out I'm of sure they're time. just sitting on a pile of money yeah that's pro- they're probably still playing it <laughs> oh <laughs> for sure swimming through coins um uh, okay well it's uh Matthew is there anything else on specifically Silence of the Lambs that you wanted to pick up or before we sort of branch off into some of the other uh, entries in the franchise I know I think you know I imagine we'll probably circle oh yes there is actually there is one thing the that movie the end of that movie I still maintain is one of the best closing lines of a movie ever. Somebody on Twitter recently said, you know, what's the best threat a horror movie character makes? And I said, I'm having an old friend for dinner remains yeah. one of the best lines Tremendous. I'm having ever. an old friend for dinner. And, and the thing I is, mean, what I'd forgotten about is, until the other day, was the bloke he's referring to specifically is his own, I guess, whatever you call it, psychiatrist or prison doctor. And that guy is a blooming horrible, sexist sort of scumbag. So yes, Dr. Shelton. And I'd kind of forgotten. I was like, good. I'm glad you're going to get eaten, you prick. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And he's such a, it's funny because I actually have this sort of, um, this love for Anthony Heald, the actor who plays Chilton in, in Red Dragon and in, and in Silence of the Lambs. He narrated uh, Jurassic Park and the Lost World audiobooks, uh, or, as they were for me at the time, books on tape, and um, a bunch of uh, Star Wars books on tape, the, the Boba Fett Star Wars books. So when I was a kid, I grew up with his voice and loving his voice, and he actually was a performer who would come sort of every year to the Ashland, Oregon Shakespeare Festival that I would try to go to, or my parents would take me to when I was a young person. And so I have this, this abiding love for this actor, but really what he's best known for, I think, 
is being just a prick in these movies yeah. who you you're right you want to see eaten yeah he's not a nice man but it's, it's funny you say about the audio cassettes like i used to have that i think this is where it all maybe you had a similar childhood to me in this respect but so my mum, you know and dad got me some audio cassettes when I was a kid because, you know, oh, he's five years old and he's, we need to get him to sleep. We can't be asked to read him a story, so just stick a cassette on. And for some reason, and I think I've mentioned this on the show before, they brought me these, they, brought, they got these, like, um, abridged children's versions of classic horror novels. So I was going to I bed listening to... I think I had that too. They were brilliant, but they were, if you listen them back now, you can find them on YouTube. They're still properly scary. So it's like, oh, they're not, I don't know what, I, yeah, it explains a lot. I think I had those too. I think it was a three cassette series of, yeah, children's uh, adult though horror stories. Although for me, it was, of course, the Hobbit audiobook that got me into it. Ah. Um, but but what took it across the finish line for me was I got the, the complete Sherlock Holmes oh, brilliant. audiobook um, their book on tape series and that was one of the things that really like made me fall in love with the written and spoken word at the time yeah fantastic and, and I guess there's a there's a through line I guess there even from Sherlock Holmes all the way to serial killer thrillers and great detectives oh absolutely well. I mean being obsessed with sort of that investigative process to then yeah to see Silence of the Lambs when I was older um, I mean now we can actually transition a little bit to 1999 where for me, I remember when Hannibal was coming out, I was so excited for that book. Oh man. And the local Safeway, the local grocery store, they would have you know posters up back when they would sell books like that in grocery stores. Um, and it was the biggest deal that Hannibal was coming out. And I remember being so excited. I got it opening, you know, but as soon as I could get it, I got it. Like those kids who, who did the Harry Potter books at midnight. I was that with Hannibal. In a, in a little tent outside. And, and man, oh man though, I also remember it was one of my first experiences being really disappointed. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know if you remember reading Hannibal, but especially now watching the movie back too, you know, it, that story was it's not, not good. It's, and it's a funny one. And I, so I, I didn't rewatch Hannibal in preparation for this, but I did read the book and watch the film. Yeah. So, and, but I had the same memory as you. It's really interesting that you've said that. So I remember... I think I, oh, I'll forget the order that I consumed everything in, but it was messed up all the wrong order, you know, watch Silence yeah. of the Lambs first, then read the book, then go back and watch Manon to anyway, then eventually watch Red Dragon. Um, and, and yeah, I, Hannibal is the one that I kind of, yeah, and, and to the point where, so I have never read or watched Hannibal Rising, primarily because I think the title is rubbish. <laughs> it's just, I'm just, something about that title I don't like. So yeah, um, if it was made 10 years later, it would have been Hannibal Origins. Oh God. Yeah. And then, you, you know, Hannibal Revelations. Re Hannibal, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, lazy. But well, I'm not accusing Thomas Harris of being lazy, but it, it just not, the title doesn't do it for me. So. Well, and that's what's so interesting is when, you know, they approached uh, Ted Talley and Jonathan Demme to, to make the Hannibal movie. And they asked, because I guess they were friends enough with Tom Harris they asked, like, do you mind if we, we have to change everything yeah. if we're going to make this because this book is not great. And he said, no, you can't change the source material. But mm. then, you know, rewatching it, it was written by David Mamet, the screenplay, and directed by Ridley Scott, who for my money, I think, I was saying yesterday, I think Ridley Scott is my favorite filmmaker ever. Interesting, um, interesting. And, but man, that movie it's almost unwatchably bad, I thought. Yeah, he's, he's, I mean, I think Ridley Scott, he has made at least two of my favourite things ever. But, you know, Alien and, Alien and Blade, Blade Runner, Runner. the obvious answers. Um, but he's patchy, isn't he? There's a few slightly ropey things in his canon, maybe, over the years. But Yeah, um, well, I, I think with any filmmaker. I mean, for me, too, you know, I'm, I have a, a, a deep, abiding love, if you saw my bookshelf, for ancient Rome. So Gladiator 2 being sort of the only um, modern... Okay ancient Rome movie I just you know Ridley Scott will always have a very special place in my heart but man oh man Hannibal just felt it almost felt like a knockoff of yeah, it's Silence weird. It, it's just like it, it I wonder but I somehow they got Anthony Hopkins <laughs> to, interested enough to, to appear in it it's a funny one isn't it and that so did you do you think do you think it was just a case that Thomas Harris 
had an idea you know sometimes it's idea and execution isn't it and you need those two things to both you know great idea perfectly executed to make a solid classic and maybe it was just the the idea was not maybe as good as some of the previous ones and then the execution fell a bit short as well yeah it's hard to say exactly what it what went wrong with this but i think part of it was because he became so famous and hannibal lecter became so famous but like it just it didn't feel honest to the characters even yeah where in in hannibal you know hannibal lecter saying a bunch of cheesy one-liners and clarice sort of feels like a much more weak female yeah. she and then of course the the ending which, where she in effect is sort of becomes whatever the right word is kind of enslaved to him and he, he yeah, sort of converts her felt, into his kind of disciple it was a bit it, it was a yeah bit it felt disingenuine to both of their characters yeah um it just it felt yeah it was just cheesy rewatching it at least red dragon you know going back and watching red dragon um the memory i have of, your... of watching that was that i really like manhunter the one i mentioned before the kind of odd side one with a different hannibal which is the one i didn't name. watch for this it's so have, have you have you seen that before um, i haven't oh it's worth a what it is worth a watch it's got like a it's got it's just a bit of a weird film all around it's got like a eight proper dead 80s soundtrack so it's all like sinister synths and stuff which is cool it's <laughs> got some good performances in the villain is is great um so and brian cox is a, is a good you know he's a really good actor so he does a, a decent job he just is you know dwarfed by anthony Hopkins' right. kind of rendition so it is worth a watch but i remember when red dragon came out i had already seen Manhunter, so I was like, oh, this is not going to be as good. Who's this Ray Fiennes bloke? You know, right. <laughs> but he doesn't play any iconic villains. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, who's, what's he got? And he's, what, what right has he to... So he, and he does a great job, doesn't he? And I thought Red... Well, you may disagree. I thought Red Dragon was a good film, actually. I, yeah, I enjoyed well, actually, that. That, that is what I was going to say, is it, it feels very sort of bog-standard Hollywood yeah. horror serial killer, but it was good, and it and it does have genuine scare moments and yeah. you know the twist ending functions properly i had reread red dragon only a few years ago and i still forgot the the moving the body replacing the body so he yeah. could escape um you know it's still it's still it's it's good but it's it's you know i mean it's not silence of lambs is such a masterpiece it's it's nowhere near but it's definitely good you know so you've you've really got as i sort of said in the beginning three tiers of Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, I, I would I would agree. Lecter. I would agree completely with that. Actually, you've got the kind of the masterpiece, and then you've got the good ones, and then you've got the mm, yeah. And I haven't seen Hannibal one. Rising or read it either. I started yeah. reading it. I want to say some years ago, and just not into did it. Not connect with it. I think, and that's part of the problem with Hannibal. Also, is when you make Hannibal Lecter the main character, the sympathetic character you're doing a really weird thing and it's yeah. going to be a very difficult needle to thread. Yeah. Um, totally. you know, as I said, spoilers for the, for the movie or for the book, we're talking about everything. So, yeah. but you know, at the end when, when they push the, um, I can't remember his name, the guy in the wheelchair, who's trying to capture. Yeah. Yeah. When they push him into the, into the pigs, you know, you're supposed to, the, as the audience, you're supposed to be happy and it, that this guy's getting his comeuppance. Just and wasn't I turned at to all. my wife and I said, this guy was was tortured yeah. and brutalized by Lecter. By Lecter. And we're supposed to be happy that he's getting fed to the pigs. It, this you, does you, this isn't how storytelling functions. You, you spot it. So I had the same, I know this is another random tangent, but I had the same experience with um do you remember the movie The Devil's Rejects? Uh the um oh, it was. It does sound familiar. The, the Rob Zombie uh, thing. So okay, just, I, I I don't think I've seen it. And, and I'm not necessarily recommending the the complete works of Rob Zombie, but it's there was there's a film called House of a Thousand Corpses, right? Which is yeah. I think is just a really good schlocky bonkers, you know, Gonzo, whatever you'd call it, horror movie, and it's like mm-hmm. a creepy gas station attendant who runs a creepy ride. And he invites all the teenagers in and then, he's, you know, he's in, in cahoots with some gang of rednecks who are chopping him up. And it's just like a mad. And then underground, they've got some old Nazi scientists who they've kept alive. It's nuts. It's just a mad film. And then in the sequel, The Devil's Rejects, which seems to be the one that gets generally regarded as the best. It's like you're then invited 
to sympathize with these horrible people while they're in like a jailbreak on the run movie. And I'm like, they killed a load of innocent teenagers and tortured them. Why yeah. would I want to, why would I do, that doesn't make any sense. Did you forget? Right. And it's just, it's, I mean, I, I'm sure there are ways to do it and to do it in an interesting and a, I mean, there, there's gotta be a good way to do it. Where even in the, even in Silence of the Lambs, they sort of make you root for Lecter to escape. Yes. But, um, but it just does not work in, no, in him, or it didn't work for me. You've in nailed him. it with that. I'm, I think you're spot on about this. It was asking us to support one character over the other, even though the other had had your sympathy. The guy's mutilated right. in a well, wheelchair because a of way. Okay, I guess I guess we can the the the, the way that you can make it work. Okay, so Dexter. Mm. Now that show took a turn, but because they had a serial killer who was killing people that we deem worthy of being killed, you sort of could go with him, right? Because yes. he was, he in his own mind, this instrument for justice. And we are so fascinated as a culture with serial killers that we kind of went along with it. Um, and so there are ways to to thread that needle, but it just, yeah, it doesn't, it yeah, just doesn't work. In you're terrible. not gonna thread it by, with, getting us to support him over one of his unfortunate victims who survived it just right i don't know what he was thinking it, yeah it doesn't it doesn't work there now in the hannibal tv show is which, that the mads mickelson thing yes so i shamefully i've got that here on a dvd and i've never watched it and i like oh. mads mickelson so that's why that's unacceptable isn't all it? right well uh, okay i think your homework from here on out is to watch it Done. it was Done. incredibly good uh, you'll be disappointed okay. that it ended up getting canceled it it got was it. incredibly good there's some very interesting sort of food porn aspects of it um it, it was just a very interesting television show now it does lean into pretty heavily into the, um, which is becoming a bit of a cliche now in a lot of horror movie uh, serial killer storytelling, which is the sort of mental illness as a way to catch killers. Yes. It, it does that in ways that aren't necessarily always respectful, but are very interesting. And yeah, it okay, is just okay. a beautiful television program. Um, and oh, Mads Mikkelsen is, is really good. And Lawrence Fishburne is always good in everything. And I'm agreed. I mean, you know, you, you've got to love the Matrix. So I didn't even know Lawrence Fishburne was in it. So that, yeah. that homework accepted. I will. Uh, I yeah, will commit it's, to watching that. Yeah, you'll you'll love it. Um, and since we're talking about TV shows, I think I did mention that I did. I, I started watching the Clarice TV show. So um, now you mentioned that to me when we were c- communicating before recording, and I didn't even know there was one. So well, it started so... only three weeks ago. So it, you, right, you, okay, okay. You have a reason not to have heard of it. Um, now I believe CBS taking the rights back to make the Clarice show was why NBC had to stop making the Hannibal show. Got it. Um, okay. It was a rights thing. Um, maybe maybe they could have kept making Hannibal if they spelled Lecter with a K. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. But, um, <laughs> but you know, the Clarice show is definitely just your sort of typical procedural crime drama. It's a little bit better than some other, but you know, it's the same thing. It's like Hannibal is to Sherlock as Clarice is to Elementary. Yeah, Whereas, okay. yeah it, might be, it might be better than your your sort of typical SVU knockoff, but it's still nowhere near the thing that they were aspiring to, which is elementary was obviously, you know, they, they tried to get the people who made Sherlock to, to write the show. And it's, and it's a bit, there's an element of, like, I, I thought True Detective Series 1 was like the pinnacle of a, however many, you know, 10 episodes-ish crime, sort you know, sort of gritty detective drama, catch the villain with McConaughey and Harrelson. Yeah, yeah. And you know, when you're like, there's no point watching any of them shows anymore because that was the best one. No one's ever going to make a better one than that. I've retired. Do you know what I mean? It kind of feels well, yeah, like and, and, and from what I've heard, I only I only watched the first season of True Detective. But from what I've heard, I think there have been two more seasons. The second one was kind of rubbish. And the I third that, yeah. is, is getting back to what they were going for. But it's, it just shows like exactly as with the Harris books and, and the adaptations. It's even when you've got this winning formula and you've done this pinnacle, you know, Silence of the Lambs, everyone, everyone regards that as a, one of the greatest films ever made. And yet you couldn't quite recapture it on, on any of the well, kind of follow-up attempts. And I, I do wonder, um, and this is going to go way off topic, but have you ever read The Name of the Wind? 
I have not. I have not. Okay, so the name of the wind is a is a fantasy novel, and Patrick Rothfuss, the author, is taking a very long time to write the third in the series. Okay, okay. and part of it is I think because the second book is regarded so highly, and people yeah. just love the name of the wind. I have a signed copy back here. I, it's just it's an incredibly good book, but I think the pressure because the pressure becomes so high if you've hit this sort of masterpiece yeah. zenith with a book that writing another one has just got to be scary and terrifying and and difficult. Especially you know, if maybe, you've done a George R. R. Martin and you've written see, and you've yeah, had the, exactly revealed it right. on the telly and everyone slated it. It's you must be like, oh God, I don't know if I can be bothered to finish this thing now. Although what's interesting is I think you could, I believe that if I don't actually love George R. R. Martin's writing that much. I've seen him speak because I think he's a genius and I think uh, his books are great. It's just, it doesn't, his writing style doesn't necessarily speak to my, my reading style. But um, I, I think you can do the, the Daenerys goes mad story well. What yeah. seemed to happen was that the, the, the two guys who were making the TV show wanted to go play on Star Wars and just wanted to wrap it up. And that's yeah. what, I think there's a way that you can do that story properly if you give it the time to flesh yeah. itself out. Let it breathe for, and for, let it For my itself. money, I don't think you could ever do that version of Jamie's ending. That's not how a redemption arc works. Yeah. Um, and I mean, maybe he's trying to, to subvert the, the standard and, and because I know that that's something that Martin likes to do, which is take a typical story telling formula and, and turn it turn it on its head. For example, the watchers on the wall, they, these people are the last line of defense for humanity against the, um, you know, the incoming threat, but they're all rapists and murderers and the worst among us. They're not these, yeah. these knights and shiny heroes. They're literally these people that do not fit in anywhere else in society. Um, like, I think that's a really good way to subvert expectations, but I didn't like it with Jamie's ending, but I think it could be done properly if given the right amount of time. Ah, interesting. And that's, well, that is what we have never covered Game of Thrones on the show. So maybe, you never know, that could be one to get get, get you back on in the future. Although there's probably other oh, things. Oh man, I would love to about. come back on. I mean, yeah, very and, and watch the show. Although I do have pretty strong opinions on, I, I, the last season of that show has made it almost, it has some, in some ways spoiled the entire show. And I loved that show for so long. And I have a picture of me at Worldcon in, or in WonderCon in 2010, sitting on the throne before oh. the first season premiered with my wife on my lap. And it like, it, it's, oh, that's, you know, that's a shame. I'm so, I love I've, I've had the same experience of not sitting on the throne, sadly for me, <laughs> but with, so my missus has never seen it. And I would have been like, oh, right, we're definitely watching all that. But the ending, I was so disappointed with. I almost can't justify making her watch everything else because I know that the ending's such a damp squib. Right, well, and it's and it's interesting because it's so a different, it's such a different thing from, let's say, Deadwood, which I won't, I won't recommend to people as often as I would have otherwise because it was cancelled after a cliffhanger. And oh, that's almost worse that. that Deadwood, to me, is one of the best television shows ever made i love deadwood i love western so i love deadwood it's such a different style of western but because it was canceled on a cliffhanger it's hard to recommend because yeah. i don't want to do that to people you just and, and we've and I've, this is another thing i've said before so sorry to any listeners who've heard me on this rant but what what you definitely want is and at least you do get this with game of thrones what you definitely want is an ending you don't want one of those shows that you know does an x-files and just sort of dwindles on and rumbles on indefinitely forever because they just keep rinsing it for money and just never and then they bring it back and it, like that's kind of the worst possible isn't it i, I guess so yeah want three or four tight seasons and it finishes and that's it and then you move on with your life to the next show but Right. Well, it's like Jerry Seinfeld saying, like, you know, we're going to quit when we're sort of at the zenith mm. of like Seinfeld left you know, when it was on top. And it never had that sort of Joey and Rachel have to start getting together season yeah. where God, you're just like, oh, no, although no, thank I did, you. I did find out the other day just because I Googled the theme tune and a weird nostalgic trip. Um, and then I stumbled upon Animaniacs 2020. So they, they brought Animaniacs back last year. Yeah, see, as somebody who has a three and a half year old, I, I was very aware that Animaniacs was coming back. 
I, apparently you can only watch it on Hulu though, and I you can't get that in the UK, so I can't watch it. That's yeah, unfortunately, I think my son's a little too young to quite get the genius of Animaniacs, but gags are like contracts when he's ready. Yeah, well, I'll have to, hopefully it'll be accessible in some form in the near future. But uh, Well, Matthew, we have um, digressed sufficiently for me to believe that we have finished covering our main material, unless... I you suppose are... so, although I really, I do believe you and I could probably keep talking about Silence of the Lambs all afternoon. Me too, I completely agree. I uh, I think you're probably quite right. It's... Um... It is, you know, darkness is just starting to fall here in the UK as I as I speak. So the, the, oh, the timing right. is yeah, perfect. It's nine in the morning yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, I, I should let you get to your so get to get to your coffee and your breakfast. Oh um, yeah. Well, is it? Would you care uh, if if you would be so kind as to do as a quick summer summary of your pitch for the Silence of the Lambs to uh, to take its place in the heart of pain? I I I think Silence of the Lambs is one of the, I mean, let's be real, it's one of the greatest horror movies of all times. It's the movie that defined the psychological thriller, I think, forever. I, I, I would be hard pressed for anybody to think of a better psychological thriller than Silence right. of the Lambs. It's a, a great feminist piece for its time as well. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was way ahead of its time. Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins, in terms of the movie, are as good as they will ever be. And I don't think I could be effusive enough about this movie. It's really just one of the greatest movies ever. So I think you should stick it in, but I will let you determine. Well, let me, uh, I will ponder this for a, for a long, uh, yes, I can confirm it's in. <laughs> <laughs> no, no uh, need for any uh, contemplation. It is definitely a worthy entrant into the, uh, the, the, the pantheon that we are constructing. And of course, and sometimes you, you let things in and you're not quite sure what they're represented by. So, you know, it's like if you let the, we've got the Blair Witch Project in there and it's like, what is in, what's in the cell? Is it, is it the Blair Witch? You only really right. see that in the crappy spin-offs. Is it just the guy in the corner of the room? With Silence of the Lambs, it's very clear. It's Hannibal Lecter. In yeah, I mean, let's be real. Yeah. Strapped down. That's, that's a nice, uh, easy one to sort of visualize what that looks like. Um, yeah, well, well, it's so iconic. Well, and it's funny in the books, it's a hockey mask, but that that sort of whatever they made that mask out of is just so perfect. Yeah, definitely. So iconic for horror movies. It's brilliant. It's yeah, it's interesting on the, the hockey mask, the Jason style hockey mask is an interesting choice for the book. It's in the oh, um, man. I, I didn't, film. It's yeah, something I, different. I'll have to it? go back and listen to the to your Blair Witch. That movie, man, oh, man, that movie scared the shit out of me at the time. It was, and it was yeah, before those documentary, um, mockumentary things where I, I went with my aunt who believed that it was actual found footage. It was so clever, the marketing for that movie. And, um, and I, I then, we, the all, we, we were teenagers and we all got like a shared taxi home. And you know, and you've only got like a two quid each. And it's like, oh, well, if we all chuck in and we all get out in the same place near where we all live and we can all walk home. And it turned, so basically we ran out of money in a place so we had to stop you know sorry taxi man you'll have to let us out here we can't afford <laughs> we can't afford to go any further and it meant that my route home was through the woods in the dark oh, <laughs> so no thank just, you i just legged it i just ran it was uh, yeah see that's the nice thing about well san francisco is that i didn't ever have to deal with going through the woods but i guess i did have to deal with the real possibility of being mugged. That, yeah, yours was probably worse, actually, on reflection. Um, yeah, and but, looking back, since I did actually get mugged on the street, I guess that, that probably was worse. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm sorry to hear that. I was that. a child, so, you know, whatever. Yeah, well, it doesn't seem to have left any lasting uh, scars. Um, well, except that I don't write I don't write horror. Make, well, yeah, in which case, that's which is... I'm just interested sad. in it. I'm just a fan rather than an author. Yeah, a, vo a voyeur. Like, You're right. Like there you go. Um, well, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, this the show. was an absolute blast. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, not at all. And um, before I forget, I should ask if there's anything you wanted to specifically plug, whether it's your social media contact details or any specific book projects uh, or anything. You know, I think for anybody who's interested in my writing, Into Neon, a cyberpunk saga, is the first in my series. Um, you know, people seem to enjoy it. I would hope that any of your listeners would. It's uh, sure not would. at all in, in this genre necessarily, but it's more of a hero's journey in a cyberpunk world, but still um, 
I, I think worth mentioning. If you want to find me, if you're interested, or you want to, you know, tell me that I was wrong about Hannibal and that it's a masterpiece. Um, Thudo World, T-H-U-T-O World, on every social media, even Xbox and PSN, you can find me. You can find me literally anywhere with, with Thudo World. No, fantastic. Oh, that's nice and easy for people as well to remember. And yeah, Into Neon, that is a, that's a, a book I have, I am yet to read, for which I apologise. It's very much on the, on the, the towering TV Yeah, you're, yours for me too. I, my reading has really yeah, gone off a cliff. of late. Once I had the kid, my time is sort of divided between work and then family, and it doesn't leave much in the way of time for reading. I, yeah. I know other people are better at, at finding little windows, but for me, if I'm reading, I always feel like I should be writing instead. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly the dilemma. Like, why am I reading this? I should be writing my own thing. That's why, yeah, so... Guilt, guilt. Um, that's why audiobooks, that's why. Anybody who has yeah, an audiobook, that's, good... that, that, that's where I get most of my most of my content at this point is oh, audiobooks, which is hard when you're friends with a bunch of indies and you want to support them. I'll yeah. buy all the books, but I, 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 I doesn't necessarily mean you read them. Yeah. The, the yeah. audio books is a great suggestion though, because I listen to a lot of podcasts. So maybe it's time to, to sort of make that change. But what I can say about Into Neon is not only am I going to read it, but if you do look it up on Amazon, as I have done, of course, um, it's a huge wealth of incredibly positive reviews. So there are lots of people enjoying that book immensely. Um, yeah, because... I've, I've been very lucky that people have responded pretty positively to it. You know, you don't know when you're setting out to write a book, you don't know um, how people are going to feel about it at all. And I wrote a book that I liked and thought was fun. And I've been thrilled to find that other people have liked it and, and, and thought it was fun. Um, no, fantastic. And, and fun to do something a little bit different in the cyberpunk genre. Obviously, cyberpunk heroes journeys do exist in, in sort of the Matrix and Ready Player One, but it's much more the sort of neo-noir thing. So I had fun taking that this genre that I love and sort of mushing it together with, with the hero's journey that I love. No, that's brilliant. And a fantastic pitch. Two fantastic pitches you have now made on this one appearance. So, uh, so yeah, definitely please make sure you check that out, listeners. Um, and well, that on which uh, note, I will bid you farewell, Matthew, and uh, well, wish you a lovely rest of day. And I hope it isn't too... And yeah, and have a good evening for you. Yeah, will do. I will do. And uh, yeah, hopefully speak to you again at some point in the near future. Absolutely. Now we got to do Game of Thrones. Yeah, done. Deal. Deal. Virtual handshake is a yeah. <laughs> just Perfect. Yeah. Speak to you soon. Cheers. Absolutely. Starling. Wow, Clarice. Have the lamb stopped screaming? Not a letter. Don't bother with the trace. I won't be on long enough. Where are you, Dr. Lecter? I have no plans to call on you, Clarice. The world's more interesting with you in it. So you take care now to extend me the same courtesy. You know I can't make that promise. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Thank you once again for joining us for another episode of Dark Natter and thanks again to Matthew A. Goodwin for being such a delightful ace guest. Um, remember also to check out, just as a final plug, the uh, compilation Neo Cyberpunk, which both Matthew and I are, are both featured in, along with Anna Mossicat, who you may remember from our Ghost in the Shell episode of the show. So it's a, a short story collection of cyberpunk related shenanigans which I think you will enjoy very much and I was honoured to be uh, invited by Anna and Matthew to participate in which was how we met um, so there's a bit of a backstory um, yes as always uh, usual other information applies if you want to contact us best place to do it's probably twitter at dark underscore natter you can find us on instagram too at dark natter podcast or you can uh, visit our YouTube channel where there is actually a video version of today's episode so you can see Matthew's lovely face and my uh, disturbing uh, visage, if you so wish. Uh, other than that, that's it for today and um, we will see you again very soon.